As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed Internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Right, we're just a few weeks away from our first ever live edition of the Race F1 podcast on February 12th. So far, we've got a great venue, King's Place in London, as part of Pod Live. We've got me to host, Scott Mitchell Malm to give lengthy answers, and a very special guest in Ted Kravitz. So, Ted, we've got to work out what we're going to talk about. What's there to look forward to in 2023 that we can get into in the live show, do you think? Let me start by telling you a story about Murray Walker. There you go, good start. Um, He always used to say at the beginning of a season, you know, Formula One has an amazing ability of reinventing itself year by year. And I used to think it's a funny thing to say, but you know, the more I think about it, the more he's right. And even though we don't have new cars this year, right, slightly different with the race, bright height, blah, blah, new tyres, we do have so many other new things that are worth talking about. We've got new drivers, we've got rookies, it's more than one, a couple of rookies, and we've got new team bosses. That's what I'm all so looking forward to to seeing how that's all going to work and then of course we've got the small matter of the world championship will we be at the end of 2023 talking about max verstappen a three-time world champion there's loads of stuff to look forward to this season that's going to fill about 40 minutes of our 75 minutes scott can your song and dance routine fill the rest um it probably could if you would um if you would unshackle me and just let me you know have have full uh, creative license on it Part of it for me that I think we can get into really nicely is the subject of rivalries, old and new, because I would like to think we're going to see some familiar fights in 2023, but we're also going to see some new ones as well. I'm really optimistic about that. So I think that's a good subject for us to get into. And obviously it won't just be us. Maybe we'll uh, have a few interesting insights from our audience as well. Well, this is great. The running order is coming together very, very well. I think we've got to have some kind of audience interaction. We'll definitely have a few questions. We'll have a few bits of feedback from the audience. Ted, do you know anyone who's handy with a microphone and who's good at doing a bit of broadcasting moving around? Because we could do with someone who could go out among the people. Well, what are we? February the 12th. Is it going to be warm enough for shorts? Yes, of course it'll be warm enough for shorts. I'll bring my pink shirt and my shorts on and I'll get down there with a the microphone. And of course, I think we should also hang around a bit at the end, say hello to a few people. Will there be the chance, Ted, to give a few autographs? Definitely. Does anyone actually ask for autographs anymore? But um, yeah, no, we can, uh, we can go and meet everybody and say hello. Yeah, it's going to be great. All part of Sport Pod Live, live podcast festival. We're there on February this 12th. That's a Sunday. Nice early afternoon slot. So if you're an F1 fan, it's just going to be a great event to come to. Hopefully we've got so much to talk about. We're going to struggle to fit it all in. So to get your tickets, head to sportspodcastgroup.com forward slash pod dash live. That's sportspodcastgroup.com forward slash pod dash live. Get your tickets and we will see you there. The Athletic. The race is on, and Fred Vasseur has spent the last couple of weeks getting his feet under the table at Ferrari, and now he's faced the media for the first time to lay out his plans. So is he expecting a championship win? What's going to change under his leadership? And how's he going to handle what's arguably the biggest job in F1? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to answer those questions and many more are Scott Mitchell-Malm and Ben Anderson. 
Well, Scott, hello. Like me, you were in the virtual media gathering Ferrari put on with Fred Vasseur. What did you make of it all? Uh, yeah, it was a good opportunity to to speak to to Fred before. Um, I thought it was good that they did something before the car launch because um, <laughs> those those things are hectic enough. You you don't need to be trying to get a look at what I was about to say the like the F one seventy six, but who knows what the Ferrari is going to be called this year because that that follows absolutely no naming convention, does it? Um, you don't want to be dealing with obviously what what's his vision for Ferrari? How how does he view certain areas when when you're also trying to sort of focus on the car and you've got the drivers as well. So it was, a, it was a nice opportunity and a slightly more relaxed environment to hear what he has to say. Um, I don't think there were any great surprises in um, in his answers to several questions, but at the same time, I think on one or two issues in particular, which we'll come into in this one, things like team orders and, and how he looks at Charles Leclerc's contractual situation, I think he's got quite a sensible view. Um, and there are some question marks over what he can achieve at Ferrari naturally because of the the problems around the team and exactly how much autonomy he'll have but I would be if I were a Ferrari fan and I'd heard everything that Fred said today I'd at least be cautiously optimistic that he's going into it with sort of the right approach on some key issues yeah and it was good to get used to him wearing his Ferrari blazer something we'll see well we'll see a lot in airports this year they don't tend to wear the uh, those uh, those blazers so much on race weekends expressly team kit but there we go and Ben Anderson We've both been around for multiple regime changes at Ferrari. So what do you make of the initial impression Vasseur has made compared to his predecessors? Well, I mean, he is bound to make a better impression than uh, Marco Mattiacci did. Uh, He was one of the more more bizarre recent appointments, I think, um, to wear the the coveted Ferrari blazer. Um, A guy who just wore sunglasses permanently, I seem to recall. Um, I guess it was Ray-Bans at the time. I think they were sponsoring Ferrari in 2014. And he would wear them even inside in the Ferrari hospitality when he was about to speak to the media. So, um, yeah, he didn't create a great impression. Um, Obviously, Ferrari have been through a kind of recent sequence pre-Mattia Bonotto of kind of marketing men at the helm of the Formula 1 team. And I, I didn't feel like that ever really worked. Um, Bonotto was, I guess, a more sensible appointment because he had the the engineering background. But in the end, that hasn't worked out. It was maybe too much to expect him to make the leap from there to running the whole thing. And to me, Fred Vasseur feels like the sort of team principal they should have had after Arriva Bene because he's got the kind of all-round mix of engineering background, management skills, people skills, worldly wise, steeped in you know, motorsport experience. He's been around the block in various different championships and in F1 too now. So he's probably on balance the best fit for Ferrari um, on reflection. So is your expert analysis, Ben, that um, Vasseur is somewhere between Marco Mattiacci and Jean Todd? I don't know. Um, Which I think is genuinely one end of the Ferrari Team Vos spectrum to the other. I guess we'll we'll see how he he gets on. But I, I... I remember when we recorded a, a video for the race kind of suggesting, you know, alternative team principles to Mattia Bonotto and, you know, Vasseur was obviously heavily linked with the role even then. And I gave some banal glib remark about, oh, I'm not, you know, not sure about Fred, it's a big step up for him. But the more I've reflected on it and considered his kind of breadth of experience and his skill set, I think it's a it's a good balance. I think this is, he's the sort of guy Ferrari should have been trying to hire um, when they flicked to Riva Bene or, or probably when they uh, lost Domenicali actually and you know they've had these years in the wilderness and Scott you've reported many times on the kind of revolving door at Maranello as far as team principles go and I, th- I think that they finally settled on a sensible solution I think it's a shame that it's come at Mattia Bonotto's expense I think it would have been a good setup to have a guy like Bonotto, who's steeped in the culture of Ferrari and obviously a very, very well-respected and talented engineer leading the technical side of the team, which he did very well, even under the kind of more chaotic leadership of people we've mentioned, um, to have him working alongside Fred, would I think would have, I think, been the most potent combination, but we are where we are. 
just coming back to the point you're making about Matiachi and glasses, I always remember the first weekend he attended in Shanghai. It was one of those really gloomy Chinese Grand Prix yeah. <laughs> weeks where it never seemed to get light. And apparently, because he'd flown overnight or something, he was really tired getting in there and he hadn't slept. So he had his glasses on all the time because he had bags under his eyes. But it did look hilarious. And it was a bit of a thing on social media as well. And if it was today, it would be even more so because social media, we weren't quite at peak Twitter, for want of a better word, <laughs> at that stage. But I remember... I think on the Sunday of the weekend, someone from Ferrari asked a small group of us why everyone was joking about the glasses and everything. I just remember saying, because if you wear sunglasses in the dark, you look like an idiot. <laughs> and it was just so obvious. But uh, Marco Batti actually never really recovered from that. So Fred Vasseur has got his eye gear right for his first proper public <laughs> appearance. So that's a big tick in the box. The championships will come flooding in. But let's get a little bit more into the detail of what Fred Vasseur said, Scott. We'll open up with your broader impressions of what Vasseur's saying. Now he has laid out those targets. He certainly wasn't afraid to make very clear that winning the championship is the immediate objective. Yeah, I I, I think that just reflects, you know, being realistic. He he knows he knows that that is what is expected of Ferrari. Um, whether it should be expected of Ferrari given their recent history is is another matter, but Despite the um, the ups and downs, even in the last decade and a half, the fact is that this is F1's most scrutinised team with enormous resources behind it and tremendous history. So the expectation will always be to succeed and the ambition has to be to win. That That's really what Fred was saying, that it just wouldn't be ambitious enough to say second or third would be okay this year. He can't say anything else, can he, basically? No, exactly. It's, it's very much a what 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 else do you want him to say in that scenario? But around that, it's sort of how you present it. Uh, do, you know, do you come across arrogant or do you come across ambitious but realistic? And I think Fred's in that category. I think he's very much in that realistic category. Um, he knows that I think he believes that the uh, individual ingredients are there at Ferrari to be successful. It's just about putting them together. He wants to make it clear that he's not um, not arrogant enough to think that he can come in after two weeks and say, right, this needs to change, this needs to change, this needs to change. So there's a bit of a um, review analysis process going on at the moment, looking into various weaknesses of 2022. We, we will get into them in a bit more detail later on. But I, I like the way that he has come in. Uh, there seemed to be a uh, nice or um, at least well-mannered handover from Mattia Bonotto, which surprised me. I, I was I genuinely didn't expect to hear that there was a little bit of um, crossover between them with Bonotto helping out Vasseur at the start uh, just to sort of get get into it. I honestly cannot think of another example of that happening in the hist- in recent history of F1 where a team boss on his way out is still there in some capacity when the new guy starts, who's when they've come in from outside and the other guy and the incumbent team boss is moving on. Uh, especially when we think that there was some kind of fallout at the end of last year for Bonotto. So it feels like Basura is lent on that kind of element, the experience within Ferrari, his predecessor, he's looking at speaking to Jean Todd as well, who he's known for a very long time to, to try and get some, advice on on that side and then he's going to take some time just to see what how Ferrari operates there'll be some things that he he can only learn through the season there'll be some things he can learn in the short term but he's promised that he's not afraid to take action if he sees fit Um, and it sounds like he will have enough autonomy to make some changes so like I said cautiously optimistic based on what he said how he said it how in theory it seems it's going to work it's not um, it doesn't look like a doomed appointment from the beginning, which I genuinely think in Ferrari terms is actually quite positive. That's the minimum you need at the starting point of this. But it does show also he's very much in this phase of fact-finding because if you think about it, it's a big organisation, isn't it? He's been there two weeks just over in terms of doing that job. Yes, he'll have been preparing a little bit before that, but there's a lot to learn and understand. And while you can perhaps get a very quick idea of the problem areas, understanding how to fix them is the is is the big challenge but yeah it's all wrapped up in this general desire to be able to fight for for championships and actually make things work and i guess that's the thing isn't it ben the championships the target but it's it's really about being in the mix a little bit more firmly for the championship it's not as if 
if they miss out on winning the constructors championship and the drivers championship by one point or something that'll be a failure and if they get a couple more points it's a triumph but they need to be much more convincing than they were last year yeah absolutely um that challenge hasn't gone away i think this is where you you start to understand the the big difficulty for Vasseur coming in he's pincered between the the longer term objectives of trying to understand the Ferrari system, the culture, how it all meshes together, why it hasn't been working properly, because let's face it, he wouldn't be there if there weren't changes that needed to be made at some point. Um, Otherwise, Mattia Bonotto should just continue in his previous role. Um, And he's got to balance that need to get in there, make his mark, make it in the right way, try and change Ferrari for the better, over the longer term with the short-term objective of, well, you have to be fighting for the championship and ideally winning both of them. And to that end, what impact can he really have coming in in January when the technical direction is set, when he's saying all the ingredients, I mean, this is kind of a banal line that all incoming team principals will usually say about their new environment. We have all the ingredients we need to be successful. We just need to put them together in the right, the right way. To be, to be honest, whether Ferrari succeeds in the championships this year is not probably going to be much down to him. He's kind of trusting to the system that already exists, just kind of course correcting itself and not making as many mistakes as it did last year. And that some of the work that Bonotto and the people working under him will have already put in place, you know, such as fixing the engine reliability. We talked about that on a previous edition of the podcast, the sort of virtuous cycle that you can enter into if you fix one specific integral problem how it can give you un not unintended but residual benefits that improve your overall outlook i don't think fred will have any control over that so he's kind of got to sit there and cross his fingers that ferrari's going to work better in the championship fight this year than it did last year and that will buy him the time he needs to make the bigger structural changes that allow ferrari to be on a more secure footing for the longer term and when the rules change, obviously, in 2026. Yeah, and things like the car and engine, he hasn't got any influence over. In meaningful terms, the die is already cast, at least, yes, as a little yeah. bit in development or whatever and some decisions. But that's basically going to play out as it plays out. Scott, when Bonotto left and Vasseur was first appointed, we talked a lot about the role of the senior management, the power dynamic at the top. What do we know about how his leadership is going to work in terms of how he works with Benedetto Vigna and John Elkin? The big cheeses at Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, so I I got the impression from Fred that um, the relationship with Vinny in particular is going to be important. Uh, that's the CEO team principal relationship, which um, I think historically, and I, well, I say historically, I mean in recent history, um, that it's the that CEO element is the CEO is, is the sort of direct port of call there I think the relationship with the chairman is obviously important but if you look back at um, Louis Camilleri for example we talked about this when Bonotto was under pressure and when Bonotto was leaving it was Camilleri that Bonotto had the the, the strong relationship with um, and Camilleri's exit did always look like that that was a key Bonotto ally heading out out the door so when Vigna came in that was uh, we, and Elkin as as chairman. That just felt like a dynamic there that hadn't picked Bonotto, but has now picked Vasseur. So now I think Fred will be tasked with the day to day running of the team, the management. Obviously, he's in charge of the the, the sporting division at, at Ferrari, so he has a lot of um, responsibility and power. How much ultimate authority he has? Not entirely sure. I get the feeling that. Vinya will have a bit more of a hands-on role now. I think a bit more of a closer relationship between the two of them will allow maybe better communication. Maybe Vinya will be a bit more inclined to not meddle, but pay close attention to the F1 team because like his man is, is in charge. And... Fred's sort of suggestion was that this that, that's fine. Like that that doesn't matter because their communication so far has been strong. And as long as the collaboration is clear and the collaboration is there, then it doesn't matter who is ultimately the line manager for what and, and who has the ultimate say because they'll be working together to that end goal. And it's a nice idea in, in principle, whether it can work in practice, let's find out. The the key thing will be that not only is the 
is Ferrari going to have a CEO that actively engages with the F1 team, but also listens to the F1 team and and acts in the F1 team's best interest? It it will be futile if Fred's going to dinner two or three times a week and spending every day on the phone to a CEO that just overrides him on everything. Yeah, there's some alarm bells there for me. Uh, I think it's all very well saying, yeah, everything's crystal clear and we've got this, you know, perfect relationship that can work when, you know, your prior situation was running a different F1 team quite autonomously and you dealt with this guy because you had a, you know, commercial technical tie-up with the manufacturer. When Vasseur was team principal at Renault, he had massive conflict with the existing structure there over where the delineation of responsibility exactly lay. You know, he couldn't work alongside Cyril Abitable, who's really in charge. And in the end, he just, he walked because he wasn't prepared to be micromanaged or have two different directions and, and ideas of how to run the team collide with each other. And it's fine if they can start out in you know the, the honeymoon phase being, yeah, quite clear, you do this and I do that. But if Scott's right and the CEO is going to have a more hands-on role in how the F1 team works, how far does that extend? Would he start to overreach? Would he start to tread on Vasseur's toes? If that happens, it's a repeat of the Renault nightmare. And Fred, you know, given what he did at Renault and the kind of personality is, I don't think he'll stand for that. I think they'll either clash and... Uh, it will be, and he'll just walk, or he'll have to say to Elkin, "Look, it's it's him or me. I'm not, I can't work with a guy who's just going to undermine me. I need, I need the autonomy to be able to run things the way I want to run them." And you've hopefully they've hired him to do that. The comparison I draw is to McLaren, where there is, or has been in the last few years, I think a functioning. CEO team principal structure with Zach Brown and Andrea Seidel and now it's Zach Brown and Andrea Stella but the key difference there is that Zach Brown is the CEO of a racing division he is not CEO of a broader company with lots of different um, you know responsibilities and areas to to focus on he is in charge of making the racing division successful and he empowers his team principal to run the F1 side of that as best he can he backs that F1 boss to the hilt and he engages in the areas that he is strongest on. So that's the commercial side and dealing with the board. That's great. That is a superb structure. I, I, I really rate that kind of setup. And what I said at the end of last year was that I see no reason why Ferrari shouldn't have a competition CEO, someone who is in charge of the sporting side. That, you know, that could incorporate the F1 and the hypercar program with their Le Mans return, for example. But you at least have someone who is more devoted, engaged on the racing side and knows the racing side, not someone who sort of comes in from afar every now and again and acts like they know best. We we don't know what level of relationship the Vinya Vasa dynamic will will turn into. It could be a positive, but there is still just enough of a disengagement there with the corporate side of Ferrari that where it becomes a problem is if Fred doesn't have the authority to do stuff and is being forced to go down certain paths or follow a certain direction from someone who ultimately doesn't really know what the F1 team needs. So let's just see how that one plays out. We might not see any outward signs of it this year, but if it goes as badly as the Renault one did, then at least there is history of Fred saying, I'm not having this. And as you say, things like this can look great from the outside. It's only when they're put under pressure by external forces. And those external forces, I would say, are the reaction of people in the Italian media in particular to what goes on on track. Is the CEO going to be keen to respond or be seen to respond to the Italian media saying this isn't good enough if the on-track performance isn't good enough? We don't know. Ideally, they need to be focused on evolving the team, evolving Ferrari, making it better, constant improvement. And if they constantly improve they will get there. That's how it works. As Fred has said, they've got everything they need, get a little bit better each day, put one foot in front of the other. Eventually, they'll get to that point where they're fulfilling their potential. But there's all these other factors that can come into it. And yeah, one of those confounding factors historically can be somebody in a CEO position who doesn't quite get it and 
doesn't realise that particularly in sporting competitions, which are a very odd environment, they're not strictly business environments. The rules don't work in the same way. They can find that their interventions are quite counterproductive. So we'll see how it pans out. But I, I agree with the point that if Vasseur doesn't like it, he can always just wander off. He's got other interests in motor Obviously, his full attention is on Ferrari, but he he's not going to be going hungry if he leaves Ferrari, let's put it that way. So he does have that uh, that freedom and flexibility. We'll come back to Ferrari in a minute. And in fact, Ferrari will be a talking point when we do this show because we do have our first live podcast in London on the afternoon of February the 12th. That's a Sunday. It's part of Pod Live, and the organisers of the event are offering a 20% discount on the remaining tickets. To get one of those, you need to use the link in the episode description for this podcast and enter the code LIVE20. That's L-I-V-E 20. L-I-V-E-2-0. If you're coming along, we will see you there. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, Scott, there's been a lot of talk about Ferrari expected improvements in recent weeks, various rumblings going around, particularly in the Italian media. What impression did you get from Vasseur about the improvements on that score and also what else is going to immediately change under him? Yeah, so I guess um, we can break this down into the engine reliability, uh, the strategic mistakes that we saw last year. I think those are the two sort of primary ones, but also possibly a bit of um, team management, driver management. But we'll park the team orders driver stuff because... Um, I've got sight of our running order and I know that you want to come to that later, Ed. So I'll focus on uh, reliability and uh, strategy for now. Um, it sounds like Ferrari's satisfied with what they've seen um, in, you know, in, in the factory, on the dyno, in the simulations over the winter, that they have got on top of the problems that uh, caused them so much issue last year, which I believe is primarily on, was, was primarily on the MGH side think that's what caused um, Leclerc's failure in Baku and Sainz's failure in the Austrian Grand Prix specifically and in the second half of the year certainly probably more towards the end of the first half of the season Ferrari was running basically with a slightly detuned version of the the power unit I think it was the MGUH where the um that they had to basically work it less um because of uh this underlying reliability issue that was openly admitted to at the time by Mattia Bonotto it couldn't be fixed in in the short term and the upshot of that is that Ferrari lost performance on the engine side for the rest of the season now this was probably this has been estimated to be around maybe a couple of attempts worth of performance and the I think what's happened is that the suggestion from Ferrari is that they've solved that so they've got that back over the winter because you are allowed to make reliability changes in this era of the engine freeze um and if you're if you had to turn your engine down for reliability reasons if you fix it on reliability you get that performance back so it's not a performance gain per se it's sort of a performance reset to what the engine was always theoretically capable of but what fred batted away was a specific suggestion of the the rumors that there has been a 30 brake horsepower find from ferrari over the winter and i and he batted that away and i think I wonder if the reason he has is that it's very easy to do that because there hasn't been a 30 brake horsepower increase on the power unit over the winter. I wonder if they've got a performance gain relative to what they ended the season with that is basically the equivalent of 30 brake horsepower. And I think where you find that on the MGUH is in the torque delivery. I think it's in it's early in the power band, so the total output of the power unit remains the same, but you get a punchier delivery on throttle basically so that's where you gain your and you can still gain your two tenths of a second in performance there without actually having 30 brake horsepower more if that makes sense so but you, you can also do it by just driving the turbo harder and that kind of thing there's it's all about the way you run it isn't it across the board the better the reliability margins are the more you can run it in every single area so it could be like an aggregation of all sorts of little different things yeah absolutely so um i, th- I think that was 
unsurprisingly sidestepped from Vasseur, but done in a way that you can read between the lines. You know that they have clearly found something over the winter because of their reliability improvement. So that's good. The other thing that's worth discussing is the um, the way Fred addressed um, addressed strategy. Um, I think it's been a thing for Ferrari for a long time to be very careful of throwing any individuals under the bus on strategy. Um, the I believe I think the main strategy chief there is still in Yaki Rueda, who is in the little dealings I've had with him when he's done briefings and. Um, I remember in Monaco in 2019, he actually walked us through their entire like strategy software and how they make decisions live in the race, which is really interesting. You know, he's a he, he's a very nice, intelligent, clearly talented individual who becomes the face of all of the operations and systems that come together to make Ferrari's strategy calls and decisions. So easy to put the blame on him and his colleagues on the pit wall or wherever and say why do you not just replace person x because they keep making strategy calls what's really interesting from what fred said is i think he might have already in the first couple of weeks got a bit of an indicator that he doesn't like the way ferrari's comms work on strategy because he mentioned communications a couple of times and having like a clear flow of information not overloading it with too many voices not wasting too much time getting to a decision and I thought that was too specific to just be a general observation of how F1 strategy works it you know overall so I'm wondering if he's found something within the system the structure there that he might start to make changes to he's still in the process of reviewing it and he has also said that he will trust the team that already exists so I don't think there'll be any personnel changes on strategy for Ferrari at the start of the year I think they might change the way they do things slightly. But then if there are continue to be issues as the season starts, Fred says he will take action and change things thereafter. So I was actually quite impressed with how he handled all of that. When it comes down to it, the strategic function of a team is about taking a vast number of data inputs, lots of them live, changing as, as it happens, and condensing all that into usable information and, and almost getting an output from it. And I imagine that it will be, yeah, in the way that's done, and then, as you say, the way the comms are connected to that. Because we do know there were clear examples where there were arguments being had about what to do on strategy. Interlagos qualifying is the great example where they wanted to send Carlos Sainz out on the intermediates. And he and his race engineer were like, no way, this is slicks. And they were absolutely right. So that's probably the right answer from Vasseur. And it's, it's interesting that he is very gently hinting they might have an idea there. Because I would say strategy is the area where you can make the big gains. Because as you say, it's not like they're just sitting there making it up with just somebody sitting there, just say, oh, I'll bring him in for hard now or whatever. There's a lot going on there, a lot of good processes, a lot of data that have their race room where they're following everything that's going on. So it, it might just be fine-tuning that's required to make that work a, a lot better than it currently is. That seems to me to be the most obvious low-hanging fruit, doubly so when you consider how many points last year were lost to strategy. Yeah, and also, you know, Vasseur can come at this from, you know, an outsider's perspective and also one uh, that takes account of running much smaller operations that have to think a little bit more lightly on their feet and also not overcomplicate something that, you know, F1 is very fond of making things very, very difficult and technical and hard to understand. Sometimes you just need a, a good old-fashioned eye test or... No, just trusting your kind of experience of racing in the real world to make a quick decision. And Vasseur will be able to, I think, do that perhaps better than someone like Mattia Bonotto, who was steeped in Ferrari culture for many, many years. It's very difficult, I think, for someone who's worked with all these, some of these people for a very, very long time to see the wood for the trees in this kind of instant. What's, what do you need to change how do you address challenges with particular individuals or, or how they're working when you're part of that and have been for a very long time? When you come in from the outside, you can just say, well, I've got no pre-existing relationships here with how the team works. You can just call it as it is and just take a completely fresh look at how everything runs. And sometimes a little bit of the small team uh, wider motorsport experience can be quite good, I think, for kind of refreshing 
an outlook and just showing perhaps a team that's got a little bit too uh, embedded in complication just to look at things a bit more straightforwardly. That could be quite useful, I think, to a team like Ferrari. Yeah, and it's certainly a lot better than the desire for bloodletting and scapegoating and just changing someone because the people they've got are clearly good. And it's rare that it's just somebody just not being very good. That's just not how it works. But particularly when you've got the multiplication in size of teams and how much they're doing and how much data, it's easier for really little small things to trip you up. So you've got to go over it with a fine tooth comb as well. And as we talked about briefly earlier, Ben, Vassar, he's the fifth Ferrari team principal in the past decade. He was asked what he could learn from some of them, notably Jean Top, Mattia Bonotto. What is there to learn in terms of Ferrari do's and don'ts from his predecessors, besides, of course, sunglasses etiquette? <laughs> well, I was considering this question before and thinking, well, if if I was Fred Rousseau, I wouldn't want to spend too much time thinking about what my predecessors had done or, you know, I know he, he mentioned Jean Todd and, you know, how he has a pre-existing relationship there. And of course he speaks to him all the time, but I wouldn't be going to him for, for loads of advice. I think Fred should bring his own perspective, his own independent perspective and trust his own experience and instincts to kind of take, as I say, account of how Ferrari works in the widest sense from a completely fresh point of view and use that independence and, uh, you know, lack of um, historic ties to enact the changes that need to be made. You know, he can go in there and properly get an overview of how Ferrari works independent of individual relationships or history or prior dynamics and then confront any challenges that he perceives head on without fearing about damaging particular relationships or taking account of prior politics. Um, so I would avoid, if I was him, too much of, you know, lessons from history. Everyone's different. You know, he's, as we discussed before, Vasseur is a very different prospect as a team principal to someone like Arriva Benet or Mattiacci or even Domenicali or even Jean Todd, who's obviously been out of that game for a long time. So I'd very much advise that he stays true to himself and is his own man in this because he's been hired, I think, for the fact that he blends a lot of the right aspects that previous Ferrari team principals haven't quite had in terms of their chemistry. They've been good in certain areas but haven't maybe had the overall mix of um, talents that the team needs. I think perhaps where there may be something to learn Definitely, you don't want to think, well, let's recreate Jean Todd era Ferrari because that one was, because <laughs> that just doesn't work because the Ferrari that Jean Todd, when he first climbed onto the pit wall at the 93 French Grand Prix, has got very little to do with the Ferrari in 2023 when Vasseur's there in Bahrain on, on the pit wall. But some of those little things of culture and the little things that are done in Marinello and the forces that are at play, it's useful to be cognizant of those and have some understanding of those little bits. A very small example I come up with, something Ross Braun talked about, in the book he did with Adam Parr was the fact that when he moved to Ferrari, they were basically distributing press cuttings throughout every department in Marinello, sort of shoving the media opinion in the in the face of everybody who was who was working there on the F1 team, which really wasn't good, particularly when that team was struggling at times. There's little things you can maybe learn and look out for. But yeah, I think in principle it makes a lot of sense. You want to make sure the culture you impose is is correct. There's always things you can learn from the past, but what it never is is, oh, you want to do what Luca de Montezemolo did with Nicky Lauda in the 70s. It's got nothing to do with anything now. <laughs> John Todd, whoever, you know, there's little bits to learn, but not a great deal. Scott, he did talk a little bit about the way the team operates and sort of started to touch on culture. What did you make of what he said there? I thought he was a bit less compelling on culture because he said, well, basically all race teams are the same. And in Formula One, that's not quite the case, is it? No, it's not. Um, I think he was being very, very careful because he knows that this has been um pinpointed as a particular area that Ferrari has struggled and um I think he's being careful not to say the wrong thing there um that that that's how it came across to me he was focused much more on sort of the passion that they have and how the passion is a positive thing um talked about wanting to bring the you know his racing spirit into the organization even though it's already a team of proper racers as as he called it and 
I almost felt like there was a sort of reticence to admit that it is potentially a slightly bloated organization with too much of a um, fear-based working culture, a fear of failure permeating the organization. And I I don't really understand why, because Bonotto was so flat out over the last few years at acknowledging that that existed and that that had um, sort of festered a bit within Ferrari and needed to be improved. If, if, if Fred felt that that is a genuine weakness for Ferrari and something that needs to improve, he could so easily have just said, well, I know Mattia talked about this before. Um, it isn't, uh, it's a, he's done a lot of good work. There is, I think I, I'm told that there has been real progress in this area. I aim to continue that. We need to work in a certain way, but instead he was quite vague about everything. It may well be that it was just simply, in addition to just not wanting to say the wrong thing, having only been there for a couple of weeks, he just didn't feel qualified to actually judge how the team works. It could have been that, but whatever the reason was, it did feel slightly evasive. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's probably just down to the fact that he's, I think as he said it, two weeks into the job. Uh, it's far, far too short a time frame to have any real sense of the proper working culture at a team that big and that uh, storied. So I think he's being careful there because he just doesn't know. And you're right, Scott, um, you know, Bonotto did a lot of work on trying to correct this fear culture at Ferrari and encourage people to take risks, which they have done to with some elements of success over recent seasons. The suggestion obviously was that it went a little bit too far in that direction to the point where there was no accountability for failure. And so maybe they need to come back a little bit to start, you know, holding people to account for their mistakes and and having a little bit of a, a better process for self-reflection and improvement. But from Fred's point of view, he hasn't been there long enough to see that in action. And he certainly hasn't been there long enough to understand really how Ferrari works properly at a deep cultural level. So this is, this is as we were saying at the top of the show, this is part of his longer term objective and responsibility. He needs to spend time properly understanding that and identifying the problems and the root of those rather than steaming in and saying, yeah, I'm just going to rip everything up and run it like Sauber. The whole thing about the tackling the problems is it's about blaming the problem, isn't it? Rather than, yes, there's accountability, but it's not a kind of you fear if you put your hand up and say there was an error, you're going to get booted out or whatever. I think that's the important thing. And look at Mercedes. They're a great example. We always talk about them in terms of culture. You know, there have been some big mistakes made at Mercedes over the past eight, nine years while they've been successful. A good example, remember that Austrian Grand Prix where because of the, the temperature, they, they just couldn't push there to be so contained just to get to the finish. That was all because of a bit of finger trouble in a spreadsheet generated to define the cooling. That was exactly what it was down to. And it was it was just an input error. And ultimately, they felt, right, well, this actually was down to not actually the person that put it in, but because we didn't have robust systems enough in place around it. So everything's kind of checked and double checked. And really tiny things like that can make a difference. So that's why Mercedes works so well. It's blame the problem rather than, oh, you're an idiot, off you go, which Ferrari has occasionally been at some times in the past. So you need to be avoiding that scapegoating but that doesn't mean you just shrug it off and say oh these things happen and some of Mattia Bonotto's public statements although it did start to shift a little bit last year have sometimes seemed a little bit like that it's kind of well we're doing our best it just went a bit wrong and I think that probably doesn't go far enough in terms of tackling that problem and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free you see a family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. 
In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Well, one of the questions Fred was also asked, Scott, came from F1's leading Sweden-based journalist, was about the need to tie down Charles Leclerc's long-term future. So where do you think that lies in Vasseur's priority list? I think it is very high on the priority list, but I think it can be achieved by um, focusing on the slightly more generic but much more important item on his priority list, which is to make Ferrari successful, because I think they go hand in hand. His point was that it's uh, it's so early on in his tenure that it wouldn't be right to sort of sit, walk through the door, sit down, and say, "Right, Charles, we need to start talking about a new contract beyond 2024." That that and and I agree with him. I, I think that would be clumsy from a point of view of right now. Leclerc, the only thing Leclerc needs from Ferrari is evidence that it can actually deliver on its potential and stop under underperforming and underachieving. A conversation with Fred explicitly with the purpose of trying to negotiate a contract in pre-season is, isn't going to work unless that there is evidence of Ferrari improving in the areas Leclerc needs to see it improve. So um, Fred's point was that you need to focus on results, focus on performance in the short term. There is time to get the the contractual stuff done. They've got a good relationship they will come to that, but everyone's focus needs to be on getting the most out of Ferrari in the interim. And I think that there's logic to that because if if in the first half of this season it is a little bit tricky, a hangover from last year, whatever it is, then that's not a great thing. But if there if there are signs of either Fred making changes that improve the team, if there are signs that the team's being run better under him, if the car's a lot more competitive. If there are these signs that the World Championship challenge that Leclerc so clearly deserves to be able to put on because of his ability can actually happen at Ferrari, then I think the negotiations are much easier. So I I think it should be second order to to, to the results stuff. What he can't do, and what I'd be amazed if he did do, was take it for granted that Leclerc is loyal to Ferrari and will just stick around for for just indefinitely because while he's only contracted to the end of while he's contracted to the end of 2024 I would be stunned if Leclerc doesn't want to have the next phase of his career lined up and locked down by the end of this season I can't imagine Leclerc wants to go into the last year of his Ferrari contract having no idea what comes next it's one of those things though I think as well as it's not necessarily there's other things to focus on, but just the way the game is laid out right now, they're not going to be able to get Leclerc to commit. I think if you said to Fred, oh, Leclerc, if you sat down with him now, he'll sign a new contract to, I don't know, the end of 28 or whatever, for parity with Verstappen, I think he'd probably say, all right, yeah, let's get that done, great. But for all the reasons that you've explained there, the circumstances are not right to do that and achieve that. And that's why it's a great barometer of the progress that, that Vasseur era Ferrari is going to make. Whether Leclerc, announces in I don't know August or whenever that he's extended to whatever year he's got two years left but you're right he wants to make sure he's in the best possible position in the driver market pretty much every team in Formula One would have some kind of interest in Charles Leclerc services because he's a stunningly good driver it kind of depends how the cards are lying elsewhere as to who'd be a realistic alternative but yeah it feels to me like Leclerc has a reasonable amount of power certainly for the first six months of this year yeah, and as you say, Ed, any any self-respecting top F1 team would be interested in a Charles Leclerc if he's on the market and they've got an opening that aligns with the end of his contract. So I think, to Scott's point, it is a big priority for Vasseur, but he's not going to say it is because it, it naturally eventuates from the other things he needs to sort out from Leclerc's point of view. he He's one of these drivers who... You know, 
to me anyway, seems like a character that doesn't, he's not going to be driving the team all the time and making the decisions from the cockpit. You know, that's, that's maybe something he needs to add to his game, but it's clearly not naturally how he works. You know, he wants to use more of his capacity to drive the car basically faster than almost anyone else can. And therefore he needs to trust the team set up and structure to make the right decisions at the right time fast enough and not get to the end of races like Monaco or Silverstone last year feeling like, you know, I don't know what the hell's just happened. You know, how have you put me in these ridiculous positions and how have you compounded these errors? He needs to feel like the the answers coming from Vasseur are better than the ones that he got from Bonotto and feel like everything that the team is doing under the team principle is making sense and, and resulting in not needless damage to his own prospects. Obviously, Leclerc made some mistakes last year, famously in the French Grand Prix, but more often than not, he was let down by these various nebulous errors by different parts of the Ferrari system. And yeah, maybe Carlos Sainz has a better grasp of reading those situations and, and managing them for him, managing them for himself, but he's not as fast as Leclerc. So uh, Leclerc will rightly be saying, you know, I'm the quickest guy here. I'm your best shot at winning a championship. If we can, you know, stay in the game for a full season, we cannot afford for you to let me down at key points by making cat-handed decisions, prioritising the wrong driver at the wrong moment, putting the wrong tyres on and then changing them again. Um, you need to make those calls correctly the first time round so that we're not getting into arguments after the race. And if Vasseur can implement that or Ferrari can correct itself under him, then they won't have a problem, will they? You know, Leclerc's in a great position there. Ferrari's clearly... Um, a team that wants to build around him, I feel like he's got a decent amount of political power within that organisation already. So there's no reason for him to to jump shit, really, uh, providing he's getting sensible answers out of Fred, who also is a guy that Leclerc clearly trusts because he's worked with him before. And, um, you know, Fred was responsible for nurturing Leclerc as a rookie at um, Sauber. So, um I feel like you know a part of Vasseur being installed at Ferrari is to kind of placate Leclerc from Ferrari's sort of bigger picture point of view and and show him that they're prepared to make big changes to kind of make his situation a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, they're very much natural allies. And ultimately, what Vasseur wants and what Leclerc wants and what Ferrari as a whole wants are all the same thing. So theoretically all the contract stuff should take care of itself down the line if things work. Where it'll get interesting is if things aren't going quite as well as they should be. But Vasseur also, Ben, made it very clear there's no preordained number one and number two at Ferrari. Equal opportunity for Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. He did say that if at one stage we have to take action, I will take action. It doesn't matter if it's for one or the other, but if at one stage in the season I have to do something, I will do it. So do you think that's the right approach in terms of team orders? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we were asked to do a verdict for the race. The race. dot com. Don't forget the hyphen on exactly this subject, and that was my my argument that I don't feel like the the clerk science driver pairing is the kind of relationship that has the potential, certainly at the moment, to to plumb the depths of toxicity that say Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg did at Mercedes. I feel like they. You know, if they're in a situation where either one has to support the other uh, to uh, win the championship, they'll do that. Um, so I think it's probably also the only thing Vasseur can say, but I think it is the right way to do it. It's also actually a, a historically consistent way that Ferrari's operated, certainly in you know post Schumacher that. You prioritise whichever driver after a certain point has the best chance. You know, Kimi Raikkonen and Felipe Massa did that for each other, I think, in consecutive seasons, 2007 and 2008. Um, and I th I think the my impression of Leclerc and Sainz's characters is that they will buy into that. Um, obviously, where it gets stickier is if Ferrari are in a dominant position and the two of them are very close in the championship, that's always harder to manage but obviously that's not the question Vasseur was asked he's asked you know what if you're in a as you're expecting a title fight with Max Verstappen at Red Bull and you need to prior, prioritize one driver over the other will you do that well of course 
I think you would, any self-respecting team principal would. Um, I think also Vasseur seems to be at pains to kind of quell this narrative that, you know, because science was a Bonotto hire, he's now vulnerable because Bonotto's no longer there. And he gave some examples of, you know, being involved in trying to sign science for Renault when he was team principal there briefly and then wanting to sign him for Sauber, um, but the team not being good enough. So the best, I think his quit was, it's best that I just go to where whichever team science is in and now I get to work with him. It's all quite glib and fun, but um, I think... Vasseur probably does rate science as a driver who who wouldn't you know he's he's proven himself to be very capable and you know he's a pretty no-nonsense character so I think that they'll get on fine um and they all know that it's in their best interest to work for the for the overall benefit of Ferrari so I don't really foresee any problems there certainly in the short term from my perspective the key thing with Ferrari and team orders in recent years is encapsulated in what Vasseur says, if we have to take action, I will take action. Because I think the problem hasn't been those two drivers. I don't think even the problem was when it was Vettel and Leclerc. The problem was that Ferrari just seemed to have this almost paralysis. And I think they were determined where possible to let things resolve themselves before intervening. They did it at Silverstone last year. Fernando is faster than you. It's the well, hangover from that, isn't I, it? I think it is some of the hangover from that, yeah. And there's a lot of teams that are really weird about team orders. Team orders are fine. Sometimes you need them for championship reasons. Sometimes you need them because one car's quicker than the other. The team result is ultimately the priority. And I do think Ferrari have been flat-footed. So I guess, Scott, the key is when there's the first situation where the two drivers are in some way, shape or form getting in each other's way or having a battle that's allowing Lewis Hamilton to take time out of them, as happened at Silverstone, is that he's willing to intervene decisively and in the correct way. That's going to be the test, isn't it? Yeah, it just has to be done with authority. And that could be empowering his strategy team to make sure, like, one of the things that I always liked, I I did an explanation recently um, of... um, and it was it sounded a little bit unserious, but it was how Williams's new F1 boss became a meme, which was James Vows and the Valtteri It's James radio message. And the internet obviously had a field day with that and, and ran with it um, every single time Vows came over the radio. But my point was that it the 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 jokey, funny side of the of that um, overlooked the the authority and the responsibility that Vals had in being the person that gave that radio message. You know, that was one step short of Toto Wolf coming onto the radio and saying, cut it out, stop being an idiot, or you need to do this. You know, it was a Vals Valtteri, come on, which is what he does now. (laughs) But but Vals coming on the radio meant that the drivers had to take it seriously. They knew that it was serious if it was Vals giving them that message rather than the race engineer. And I feel like Ferrari would benefit from that with with having, if they can have a system whereby the race engineer relays a lot of information, the driver can push back, have some back and forth, whatever it is. But if it gets too far, if you have one of those crunch situations, Vasseur needs to have that team running in a way that someone comes on the radio in that moment and has not only the authority to say something, but the authority that the drivers listen to them. That is, that's absolutely key. Otherwise, you can say, you can say all these things now, all he wants, and oh, if I have to do something, I'll do it. That's great. But what is the system you'll put in place to make that happen? Is it Fred's just going to unilaterally come over the radio? I don't think that will happen. So he needs to put the system in place and pick someone that can actually enact that. Light comes back all to what you were saying earlier about the communication side. It's all about comms, making sure they all understand roughly where they stand before and how things are going to happen, who you're going to hear a message from. And yeah, who is the right, stop messing about. This is now absolutely serious. And ultimately... If team orders have to start being given in terms of helping championship bids, that's a good problem for Vasseur to have. But it's also going to be a stern test of his leadership, his Ferrari, and the team's capability of winning a world championship. Because fundamentally, we all want Ferrari to be up there fighting. Because the more teams up there fighting for the championship, the better the season is for those watching. And yeah, ideally, this year we'll have Ferrari, Mercedes and Red Bull, all six drivers up there battling for wins week in, week out. All six of them go into the last race level on points. That is all I ask for. Then again, I did a few years ago ask for the championship to be decided with a pass on the last lap at the start of the season. And look how that wish turned out. Certainly wasn't quite envisaging that level of controversy. So uh, yeah, a lot of work for Fred Vasseur to do what we've heard from him 
so far is just a, a basic taste, but hopefully we've given you a little bit of an idea of what this era Ferrari might be like. Well, thanks very much, Ben Anderson and Scott Mitchell Malm, for your insight. Head to therace.com and definitely don't forget the hyphen if you're going there. Listen to our sister podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, our IndyCar podcast, our Formula E podcast, plenty to listen to, and also check out our YouTube channel, both our longer videos and our shorts. Well, we're not far away now from the launches really getting going, so stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic.